Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Leslie. Welcome to Quince. A little sweet. A little tart. And a little unexpected. Today is Thursday, January the 25th, 2018. And we're a little late because it snowed last week. It did. We tried, didn't we? Yeah, we were all set and uh, they said it was going to be like an inch. And we got like almost seven in yes, spots. In and spot. drifted. Now that's the mountain for you. It is. And oh my goodness, I I was a bad girl. Oh, I got, yeah. got in the truck and picked up Kathleen and Barbara Wagner and Jim Wagner and I took off to Floyd. And we were just bad. Yeah, had a good time. <laughs> we had, oh, yeah, it was. There's a group. I don't know if we've talked to it, about it very much, but... Years and years and years and years ago, I used to go. It's the Wild Women. That's right. On Wednesday. Wild Women of Wednesday. Yeah. Once a month, we meet for lunch. And yeah. I've been going about 15, oh, 15 16 years yeah. now. See, I went before that, and then I got a job and had to work every Wednesday of my life ever since. But uh, it's a delightful group, all different kinds of ages, all different kinds of interests. Uh, they're really a lovely, and you go to different restaurants. Exactly, we uh, try them all out between Martinsville, Mount Airy, Stewart, Medizidan, and Floyd, and yeah. sometimes Hillsville. So yeah. that's that's the route. Yeah, yeah, so that was great. Well, it ended up, you know, there's usually fifteen to twenty of us, and yeah. it ended up being Kathleen Barber and me. Well, <laughs> everybody else was smart and stayed home in front well, of their fireplaces. Yeah, they didn't have a four wheel drive vehicle. Yeah, yeah, I didn't work. I didn't. That's first. Uh, we rarely don't open the antique store. Right. And um, mainly because of the drifts in the parking lot. Oh, it was. It yeah. was yeah. definitely a snowstorm. Yeah. I love it. I oh, love I it. Too. Yeah, oh. y'all had a good time. I stayed home with the dogs and the wood stove. And oh, the and had a great day, I'm sure, it was reading. Lovely. Yeah. You know, walking to Fortune Ads, but it was not a big deal. Uh, so, well, but it was pretty by the weekend, and that's when down at the Reynolds Homestead, we had an art reception. Yeah. Uh, and there's a new artist, Karen Sigmund from Bassett, and she was showing her oil paintings. So Which it was were impressive. Uh huh. Yeah. She's she's an emerging new artist, and yeah. we love to do that. Sure. And you were an emerging oh, artist. Oh my goodness! Yes, they yeah. they decided they wanted to show some of my photographs, so. which is very interesting because for a long time you didn't even have a camera. No, you know, and I still don't have a camera. Yeah, you use your iPad, which is a very good camera. But the interesting thing to me is how you're capturing light. Oh. Yeah, okay. that and I think that's probably what impressed Lisa uh-huh. with a lot of the what some of your morning things and some of your during the day things and maybe that hall was just perfect for light where you live. Mm. So so anyway, you should let us put one of your pictures on the. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, I'll we'll share show. with the people. Yeah. That was fun. She ended up. Um, and they're still small. She she printed them up as five by sevens and hmm. then matted them. And there's nineteen of them. Yeah. And they're sort of sprinkled throughout the exhibition hall in the foyer. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's 
exciting. Though. Well, that's my first foray your into first, anything. Yeah, your first show. I have yeah. never been artsy, crafty, anything <laughs> like that. So it's sort of funny. And and we put just you know on a whim, we put twenty dollars, you know, price oh, tag. Sure. And wouldn't you know, I sold one. So now I that makes me um, You're a professional. professional. <laughs> cool. Oh, it's fun. Cool. That's all it is. It's just fun. Yeah, it looked like a nice reception, a beautiful day for it. I had yes. to work. I know. I was going to go, but yes. I had to work. And, yeah, uh, we had a nice group, probably about 45 people or nice. so. Yes, yeah. yeah. Very nice. So, all right. So is anything interesting coming up? Oh, no, well, it's, the, it's January and things are pretty quiet. They are quiet. We are going to um, show the tape of the Reynolds family reunion, you know, where I had to play Nancy yeah. Jane and Rick Ward, the head of the library system. So that we're going to show that little film, oh, that nice. clip. So that'll be for history around us the yeah. first Wednesday in February. So yeah. hopefully that'll be entertaining. Yeah, for people. and then. Uh, Always for what thirty nine years, the twenty uh, twenty nine years twenty nine years. years the gospel thing yes is an experience. It's wonderful. Nice. It's a bird, Reverend Bergie Penn, and uh-huh. you know what? I bet we've talked about this in previous quences because it's it's one of my favorite of the concerts that yeah. we do and it's free to the public the second sunday yeah, of okay. february uh, and Black it's, History Month. Uh, yes and yeah. we have gospel church choirs from all over patrick and henry and yeah. even down into north carolina who come and sing for the afternoon Talent oh, that man. you would not believe. You just you get goosebumps. Absolutely, through. I've Out. been several times. The first time I went, it lasted like eight hours or something. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it was the very first time, and everybody just got so carried away. And Mom and I finally um, had to leave because we were just exhausted. But we oh. enjoyed every second. It is emotional. Yeah, it is. It, it was really ringing you out. Wonderful. Well, you know, another new thing that's been going on that has come to our area, which I think is so exciting, is. is called the Blue Ridge Story Space. And it's a storytelling group that has started up. It's free. Also, it's the first Saturday of every month in Floyd, Virginia uh-huh. at Oddfellas Restaurant. Yeah. And it starts at 5.30 and lasts till 7. You put your name in a hat and then 10 names are drawn out and you get to tell your story. So you have like five minutes. Five to seven minutes uh-huh. per person. And, you know, the stories are supposed to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. And, and the, she saw the theme oriented. Yes. I think she's like sticking, yes. you know. I don't to know. a theme. Last, yeah. last month's theme was... A big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a lot of fun. And then the one coming up is a turning point. Wow. Yes. So, but um, it was interesting because it was the very first time. Yeah. 
And so Kathleen and Peter and I went over from Meadows of Dan, and it was cold that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, we went, no. we walked Stella, and it was like minus 10 yeah, wind yeah, chill it was, factor. It was cold. It was yeah. cold. But we we went, and Oddfellows is a great little restaurant. Oh, yeah. 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 Rather yeah. eclectic in oh, its yeah. food. And we ordered some appetizers and um, had uh, Irish coffee. Yeah. And the, only a, about three people had put their name in, in the hat at the time. And so I told Crystal, I said, all right, I'll put my name Absolutely, in, yeah. you know, just so you've got enough people. This is your first time. Sure. And then people kept coming in. It ended up about 45 people came. Was great. It was great. And there were exactly 10 people who put their names right. in the hat. Yes, so I I did tell a story, and um, Citizens Telephone and TV, whatever, they recorded it, and it's on their cable channel, and then it will go up to a YouTube. So this is going to turn into something like... um, um, Like StoryCorps. Or the the Moth, the Moth Radio Mm -hmm. uh, program. So, so yeah. I just think it's so exciting. It is. It's really, and tell the sponsors are, are the women that came up with it. Crystal. Uh-huh. Crystal Trivet Presley and um, her wife, Jane. Right. Yes. They're really the instigators yeah. that, that got this moving and shaking. So, oh, hats yeah. off to them. I mean, yeah, that's absolutely. just. And they have a farm now here in yes. the community. Yes. And um, they have a uh, I know they have donkeys. I'm not sure what else. Mm-hmm. And they're starting a writing academy. Yeah. Crystal is. Yeah. Lots yeah. of interesting stuff. Oh, there's so many fascinating people in Meadows of that, Dan, yeah. doesn't it? Just, yeah. We're, uh, we're a lot about the story. Yes, we are there about the story. There was a you made me ponder um, the other day about um, how story, this is a very bad paraphrase, how story helps you accept things. Especially grief. Yeah. Turning turning the um, experience into a story. Yes. And story is so important to the people in these mountains. I mean, I've done entire talks on just the fact that story is important. Well, the fact people, 45 to, pe- 45 to 50 people exactly. showed up on a bitterly cold Absolutely. evening. That's how important story is. Yeah, but, but you made me think, okay, I know the story is important to our people. And we make tragedy into comedy. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of things. And it, it's a huge point, I think, that needs considering is that people's tragic lives, they handle all some of the tragedy and making a story out of it. Which is really cool. Yes. I I can remember growing up, you know, of course, in West Virginia, and my family loved to tell stories. But that's how we would handle the death of a a pet. Sure. You know, we'd go out and plant. We had a pet cemetery, not like Stephen King's. You know, we had a beautiful pet cemetery, you know, where we would have dogwoods that we'd plant and pussy willows and... Uh, when our horse died, we planted a horse chestnut tree, sure, and yeah. you know that kind of thing. And um, and we love to tell stories about yeah. those pets. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and you tell stories about your grandparents. Yes. You know, and your parents. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Of course, the book that my siblings yeah, and I wrote, absolutely. Stories of a West Virginia Family. Yeah, so, yeah. yes. Well, you know, this past week, my very beloved cousin, yeah. Kirk Tribal, died. And Kirky, I say Kirky because when, when I'm, you know, I mean, he was 16, 17 years older than me. Yeah, you have and, a picture of him holding you yes, in your arms. Yes, yes, with really, our horse, with, with Pinto. The horse, yeah. And he was always such a big part of my life. And he went, was in Egypt this past, you know, two weeks ago, rode the camels. He was with friends, you know, around, he said he was 76. And the next morning when they went to wake him for breakfast, he was in a coma. Mm -hmm. They brought his son, God flew him over from Memphis and, um, and he died then a couple days later. Yeah. But I wrote a little, just a little tribute you that did. I may that's read lovely. if I, I may, just because that's easier that some in some ways than yeah. trying to talk about Absolutely. it. <clears throat> but I think it is a tribute not only to Kirk, but how we can immediately, I mean, I wrote this minutes after I found out. Yeah. And I needed to do that. Sure. My sweet cousin Kirk Tribal, I could and will tell stories about him. How he would throw me up in the air and catch me when I was three years old and he was 19, fresh from New Jersey, living in the apartment above our garage as he started his college studies at West Virginia Wesleyan. I adored him. When I was five and our horse died, he brought a group of his frat brothers and they dug a very deep hole and planted a horse chestnut tree on Pinto's grave. I was in his wedding at the age of seven and then babysat his wonderful Todd when I was 12 years old. And when I was 17 and headed to Australia as an exchange student, He took me shopping at the expensive store and bought me my first and only lined London fog coat. Through the years, we corresponded, visited, even took a road trip together. He came to visit Meadows of Dan a number of times, sharing my life at church, walking the trails, Tuesday spiritual group, eating out everywhere, indulging in our favorite root beer floats. If anyone asked Kirk about his profession, he would always answer, I'm in college administration. He was president of a college, always so humble. He died traveling in Egypt just days after riding a camel around the pyramids, enjoying a full and joyful day-to-day existence. He was a person of great faith who excluded no one. My role model, my cousin, my dear friend, Kirk Tribal. Yeah. Yes. And you know, I read that in many ways to encourage other people to get those thoughts down. You know, and even do it before someone dies. Do it for their birthday. Yeah, do it, you know, yeah. just as a gift to them. Yeah. But uh, I think yeah. Kirk knew how much 
Well, you know, as humbled as he sounds, he probably, he might not have realized what an influence he was oh. with people. But um, I, I probably, he probably didn't know. That, uh, mm, he was doing, I, I, I've gone up this week and, and you know, he, he, if you Google him, he has quite a few Google, you right, know, yeah. being a college president, that happens. But there was an interview he had done with a student oh. at Andrews College, where yeah. he was in Georgia. And and he, t- he was talking about story yeah. and, you know, how we all have one and, and how we can make that story into whatever we want to make it into the story of our lives absolutely well you know it's hard on you and the the rest of the family but what a way to go oh exactly i mean a person like that going out in a blaze basically yes i mean to go to egypt and ride a camel yeah yeah. What, 79? 76. 76. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that is just amazing. Oh, yeah. And having fun. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't ask for, He could not have asked for anything better. Exactly. And he got to be, his son got to be with him. Yes. And yes, so it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Life. But I'll tell definitely you what. a name to remember. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Yes, and we'll put some pictures because we yeah. got some cute ones. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, and links or whatever. Mm-hmm. For sure. To celebrate those people in our lives. Yeah. Do you have anybody that you would you could sit down and write that kind of tribute well, probably, to? Well, I did actually write one. Um, this is not what I told you I was going to talk about about my grandmother. Oh, my no, mother's it, mother. Your mother's mother. I wrote a. Um, I, this was even before we started with the um, the Rock Castle project that I mentioned off and on. I sat down and wrote for a blog magazine that I was working with years ago. I wrote a four-part story oh. about her and her life from the time she lived in the gorge and the changes that she saw. And she was so huge a part. She basically... Uh, she babysat my brother and I while mm. my parents worked so she was really a huge influence on the both of us and my love of reading oh springs from her totally I mean I mm. never saw her without a book somewhere within reach yeah and back then she never drove you know she never drove a car and uh, my grandfather um you know, books were not important to him, but somehow she managed to have a book around all the time. And they, you know, she babysat, and he worked for the state at a very minor salary, but somehow she managed to get a hold of books and put two kids through college. Yes. You know. <laughs> so, but yeah, she was a huge influence. So her name, tell Her us. name was Ruby Underwood Howell. And uh, I can put a link to the, I think it's still up, uh, the story of a mountain woman um, with pictures and stuff of her. I'd love to read that. Yeah, but yeah, uh, she would uh, She would read Shakespeare to us oh. when we were little. I mean, she just, whatever, I still have the uh, set of Shakespeare. She gave it to me later. But whatever she had, she would read to us. I mean, it would be a mystery. Of course, back in those days, everything was pretty innocent. She got a hold of a book one time that's actually quite a very, very good book 
uh, but it's about a woman's coming of sexual identity. Oh my! And she didn't really approve of that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but most of the books that uh, we we went on a plane ride together, she and I. Really? The only one she ever took, and my first one. Where was that? No, two. I'm sorry. Uh, we wrote, my aunt, her daughter, lived in Michigan. And so we took a plane from Roanoke to Michigan. How exciting And we was stopped that? in D.C., and my, my uncle lived in D.C., and so he helped us get on the right plane. And what we, year was that? I think I was about 14, so okay. 71, 72, somewhere in there. And then she went to England when her son got married. Oh. Yeah, she actually got to go to the wedding. That was exciting. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty for cool. a little someone that grew up in Rockcastle Gorge. Rockcastle Gorge, <laughs> absolutely, and had longed to be. You know, uh, she really should have been a teacher or uh, a professional woman of some kind. But she was born in 1914, and when her uh, she was. Um, accepted at Ferrum College. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Ferrum College then, but it was a two-year school. Mm-hmm. And her father said no. Oh, how sad. But at that time, he had total control. There was no mm-hmm. way she could just say, you know, blow right. him off and go. Right. So so she got married. And, you know, we're here. And that, yeah. <laughs> but I always regretted that for her, mm-hmm. that she didn't get to do that. She could have been any, done anything. And the other big influence on me was Ruth Jean Bolt. Who did go to college. Who did go to college and became a teacher, but she's a natural-born teacher. Oh, absolutely. I've never had her as a formal teacher, just the way the fates work. But she's taught me all my life as well. And uh, I was talking to Peter the other day, and he didn't. she is so knowledgeable. He didn't realize she had... She was no traveler. She never got the opportunity to travel and do, but she knows so much. About anything, about, anywhere on this yeah, planet. <laughs> you know, and because she's interested and, and lively-minded. and She used to pick, as you may still do it, she used to pick two magazines a year from any of the states, or two magazines mm-hmm. a year, one from a couple of states and read it. Right. And get familiar with that state. And then the next year she'd pick another. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, you know, so, and, and you know, who knew South Carolina was so interesting? Because I would pick up the magazines, you know, and then mm-hmm. <laughs> the Arizona one. You right. Know, say Arizona and California one year, and um, South Carolina and North Dakota one year, and, you know, it was uh, keeping the mind lively. That boy isn't that important. Absolutely. Yeah, my cousin Kirk, of course, was the same way. Sure. I mean, that yeah, was. He got just... two more opportunities to travel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, as women around here, family duty calls a lot. And um, particularly in younger, in past generations. You know, uh, if you were the unmarried one, you wound up being the one that took care of the family. And oh, I imagine yeah. that still sort of happens mm-hmm. today. So, mm-hmm. yeah. the, the, I've got two or three neighbors that I see the ch- the children, uh, the two or three elderly neighbors that I see the children coming, you know, at least once a day. Right. And then, uh, well, and that's important too, sure. but you just hope 
that they had a chance at one point that they took even even half a year or a year or two and went and lived somewhere else. Yeah. Just so if they do come back, sure. they appreciate. Well, yeah, and, you know, I left in 1982 mm-hmm. and came back in 90. Right, you got your time away. Yeah. And, and I knew think you... it's valuable. Yes. Because you really appreciate what you've got, what we've got mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. When you live elsewhere, particularly somebody who has been cradled in family the way I was, mm-hmm. you know, both sides of the family for nine and five generations go back in these mountains, and then all of a sudden you're in Maine and you don't know anybody, and, <laughs> yeah. and it snows like seven months of the year. <laughs> yes. and, you know, and, and the people were nice. I mean, I, I did get involved in a church up there. And the people were lovely, but they weren't home people. So, you know, with all our faults, they weren't the home people. So Exactly. Well, you know what? We, talking about traveling, we have a very special guest who is going to tell us about some people in his life. Absolutely. From his travels. So I won't reveal anything else because I will let him. Take over and tell his story. All right. So, let me introduce our special guest, Peter Jonas. Peter, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and then launch into your story. We're all about story. Okay, well, this is going to be a story. And um, I'm Peter, Peter Jonas, living here in Meadows of Dan with my wife, Kathleen, and our dog, Stella. So, perhaps you've heard some of them in in past uh, podcasts. And um, recently, Kathleen and I did a seven-week trip to Australia and New Zealand. Now, Australia was new for both of us, but New Zealand, actually, I had been there back in 1985, 32 years ago, and had spent four months bicycling around New Zealand. And so this was going to be an interest. We, We knew we wanted to do Southern Hemisphere because this, of course, was, you know, end of the season here. And so, um... Um, so that so that's the trip. Instead of going to South America, we decided on New Zealand. Now, one of the reasons why New Zealand was is that I, in fact, had recently gotten notices from the government of or the bank, the ANZ Bank in New Zealand, that some accounts, bank accounts that I had had from my previous travels, were going to be confiscated based on the 1973 Unclaimed Monies Act. I thought that's my money that I picked kiwi fruit and kept in a bank account in New Zealand back in 1985. Well, it, the reality was is that I did have extra money there, and interest were seven. Interest rates were seven percent. I figured, why lose on the exchange rate? And then, if I ever go back, why lose on the exchange rate again? I would just leave the money there. So that sort of prompted this whole trip, and then we added in Australia as well because that was something new for Kathleen and me. So we we, we set off there. Pretty much had about maybe two and a half, two weeks plus in Australia, two weeks plus in the North Island of New Zealand, and two weeks plus in the South Island of New Zealand. But on my mind through this whole trip was a friend that I had made back 32 years ago, someone that I had never forgotten, that I really have drawn inspiration from many times. And when all is said and done on a trip, you know, you see the beautiful scenery and everything else, it's really the people and the friendships that really count the most on the end. And this was someone, Robin and Wendy, a couple that I had met there in New Zealand that I always thought I would one day come back and visit. And this was the perfect opportunity to, to, 
to start on that visit. And so what happened was, is that I, of course, tried to do a little bit of advanced research and, and tried to look them up through Facebook and accounts and all of that. And Robin and Wendy Campbell just was coming up with nothing. And I thought, well, this is kind of crazy. I said, well, maybe that's a good sign. Maybe that's a bad sign. I mean, good sign may be that they've just lived this mellow New Zealand life and technology had just sort of passed them by and all would be well and I would just find them there happily living there. And the other side, of course, I, my mind wandered a little bit thinking like, well, they're not to be found. That could also be a bad sign. I mean, you know, they're just not there. So this was something that weighed on my mind on this trip. It was something I was rather excited about, but also a little bit apprehensive about. And they lived on the South Island of New Zealand. And of course, that was already in the last third of our trip. So I had plenty of time to sort of think about this. But as time came by, we took the ferry across from the North Island to the South Island. They were in the area. We drove immediately, spent the night in Nelson, which is a nearby town on the South Island. And, um, and they and I was going to head out. The next day was basically set. My goal was to look for Robin and Wendy Campbell. And I had done a little bit of advanced research already um, in in ch checking them out. And I sort of remembered I'd gone onto Google Earth and figured out, you know, all my old bicycle routes and the fact I knew that it was Rewaka, New Zealand, a small little community, not that unlike Meadows of Dan. And there they, and I knew, I remembered Dara Dune Road. That's right. That's where they lived. And I looked on Google Maps and I found the kiwi fruit orchard where I had been working because that's how I, I, had, I had met them. Because at that time, I had been bicycling down Dara Dune Road back in 1985. Why I was doing that, I have no idea. It was an early adventurous time in my life. And this whole trip to New Zealand, in many ways, was a reflection on what was I thinking, bicycling around New Zealand for four months. And in fact, Robin Campbell had been someone that I met on Dara Dune Road in Ruwaka. He'd been mowing his lawn and I was bicycling. Where I was going, I have no idea. We got to talking. He invited, before long, he invited me in for supper. And <laughs> while that was going on, he ended up spending the night there. And he said, by the way, if you're looking for work, the kiwi fruit orchard across the road is, going to, is starting harvest tomorrow. In fact, my wife, Wendy, here is going to be working in the packing shed. And I'm sure they'd hire you along. And in fact, there's even a little batch, a little cabin there across the road that I'm sure they'd let you stay in. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting, so why not? <laughs> so during the next course of three weeks, I was a kiwi fruit picker in New Zealand in this beautiful valley, and Robin and Wendy were my nearest neighbors, and I spent evenings over with supper. Um, we just got to just long, those, those long, intimate talks that only the friendships create, and it was certainly an unforgettable experience. And over the course of time, I mean, I... We, I came back and I believe there may have been one or two letter exchanges, but we lost touch. This is the days before internet and this was 32 years ago. So we did, but I did still have a photograph of a slide, an old 1985 slide that I had taken of Robin and Wendy in front of their house um, with their two little kids, a little boy seven and a little girl four. And right before I had left on this trip, I thought, you know, I'm going to, email that photograph, I'd scanned it and emailed that photograph to myself 
just in case I need this for some kind of evidence here in, in this search. And so, I, so I, I did have that with me. And so as the day came by, and as I, we drove out from Nelson, I certainly saw roads that were unfamiliar to me. But as I got deeper and deeper into the country, things started to look more and more familiar. Motueka was the nearby town. Rewaka was a little, about six, eight kilometers from there, was a little town. And Deradun Road was the turnoff. And we drove down Deradun Road, and Kathleen was with me. Of course, this was strictly my my trip and my reminiscent. And um, we got to the point. I said I was pretty sure that that was his house. It everything looked familiar. It seemed right. It was certainly much more overgrown. But I thought this is going to be my starting point. Real life deja vu is what mm. I call that. It was, and I was getting <laughs> deeper and deeper into my memory bank. Yes, and. But, but all along, I had a goal. I needed to find Robin and Wendy because, after all, that was what made this place come alive for me and the memory that really lingered. So I found the house that I was almost certain was, was right, and I somebody seemed to be home, and I wandered down into the, the lower-level sliding windows, and there was a woman in there that... Not so much unlike Leslie, was doing some spinning project. She was definitely a fiber lady, <laughs> and she was busy and industrious at working. And in typical Kiwi, New Zealand fashion, I knocked on the door there, and she looked at me with a smile and a perfect stranger, and said, well, what can I do for you? Come on in. And that is just, that's the way things just work in New Zealand still. Yeah. And so I explained my situation. I said, well, you know, 32 years ago, I'm looking for Robin and Wendy Campbell. And she looked at me and she said, I'm really sorry. I can't help you with this. She says, I, in all honesty, I just purchased this house about a year ago and moved in here a few months ago. And I just know nothing about the history of who lived here before. And I'm really pretty new to the community. She said, but I can tell you, there is a woman... And then this is Robinson. I don't even remember the name. She said, but she lives in Rewaka. She's lived here all her life. And she may not even remember me, but she's my go-to person whenever I need to know anything about who's who and what's what in Rewaka. And in fact, I'm sure she wouldn't mind if you just knocked on her back door and, and asked her, you know, what she knows. So sure enough, got the address there, drove into Rewaka. Kathleen was out in the car and I knocked on another back door Stranger showing through the through the glass window, and again a friendly smile just looked at me and invited me in and said, "What can I do for you?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, I'm 32 years ago. I gave her the whole story, and I said I'm looking for Robin and Wendy Campbell." And she said, "That name just does not ring a bell." She says, "I've lived here all my life," and I go, "Well, I don't know, but I mean that's where they lived, and and." I, I knew a little bit about them. I mean, you know, she had worked, you know, for the farmers there. And, and I know he, he um, I think he sold insurance. She said, and I said, wait, I've got this photograph. And it's, it's since some, for some reason got lost off the email off our little tablet, but Kathleen still had it on her cell phone. And so I got her little mobile phone there and put it up and looked at the picture. And she looked at this kind of discolored slide from 1985 that had been scanned. And she studied it for a little bit. And there was Robin and Wendy in their mid-30s, 32 years ago, little boy Cameron of seven and a little girl Vedette of four. And who did she zoom into on that photograph? The little four-year-old girl. Oh. 
I mean, the one who's probably changed more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And she looked at and said, that little girl was a very good dancer. In fact, she even performed locally around here, well into high school. I have no idea what became of her. And, and she took dance classes with my little girl. Uh-huh. And I said, well, that's, that's little Vidette. And she looked at the parents and she said, well, of course, that's Robin and Wendy McGregor. <laughs> and I go, Robin and Wendy McGregor. And here I've been looking for Campbell. <laughs> and she, and of course, and, and rather than the usual story of like, oh, you stupid idiot. Of course their name was McGregor. How could I get that wrong? My brain had done a complete database switch. It's like the old switchboard operators <laughs> that just sort of plug in the phone connection, and my brain had substituted one Scottish name, Campbell, for another Scottish name, McGregor. <laughs> and it wasn't, again, it wasn't even you stupid idiot. It was like, well, if you say so, I guess that must be right. <laughs> and she said, well, yes, of course that is. And, and he, um, I think he worked for, he was an accountant, or he sold, he sold no, he sold insurance, and but he worked in an accounting office. She said, "Well, that's okay. That's right. Well, let's just call him up. Here's the phone book." <laughs> and I thought, "Well, sure. Let's let's just call him up." So there he was, you know, McGregor Insurance Agency there in Motueka, which was the nearby big town. And I called him up, and of course, here I've had this on my mind now for for really a couple months, you know. Yeah. And of course, what does he know? I mean, I'm, he knows nothing. And I called him up and I said, "Robin McGregor." Think back 32 years. Think of an American guy bicycling down your road. You were mowing a lawn. You invited him for supper. He spent the night. He ended up working kiwi fruit, picking kiwi fruit for three weeks across the road. He says, Why, Peter? I, I, we've been wondering about what happened to you. Every <laughs> once in a while, we do talk about you. <laughs> and, well, it's really nice to hear from you. He says, well, you know, I, yeah, I'm still selling insurance, but in fact, you reached me at this number, and I sold my business about a year ago. I'm about to retire, but I'm still working here to sort of help the transition. He says, but we live in Motueka now, and um, Wendy's at home, and she'd be, she'd be happy to see you. And here's our address on 2 Jocelyn Road, and, and I'll meet you there in a few hours. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, well... That's it, you know, and Kathleen kept saying, well, what if he didn't remember? No, no, he remembers me. All's all's fine. So we we went there. Wendy met us at the door. And, of course, it was like I wouldn't have recognized her on the street. She hadn't changed that much at all. And so we got to chatting, and before we knew it, Robin had come home from work, too. And we had this most incredible visit. We spent two nights with them, did all sorts of things. When Robin came here, our conversations continued as if, we had just seen each other last week. I it was love a it. connection that just yeah. didn't go away. And in the course of this two days, we just, just just had this wonderful time. And I realized again, it is in fact the people and the relationships you make that last forever. Right. And in fact, so Robin is about to retire and he and Wendy have planned a three, four month trip to Europe. And there's even a chance that by next year, they're curious enough, they may even show up in Meadows of Dan. There is right. that possibility. And so that was, in fact, just, it, it really made my trip among, oh. among many other things. But that certainly was something that had been on my mind. And the punchline to this story, of course, is it wasn't until a 
few weeks after I, a week after I got back that I finally pulled out my little black address book, the one that's had everybody I'd ever met that uh, from the time I was 21 years old. And there I looked under M and was Robin and Wendy McGregor <laughs> on Dune Road. Of course, me, I had been looking under R for Robin and under C for Campbell. Never thought to go to the M's, which are pretty crowded, and there it was. So so that is the end of the story. And it's, so it's a little bit of a story of unforgettable friends, and it's also a story about brain farts. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh. Oh, but it, it ended up that you... You had connections with this really cool lady who who found the you know saw the picture and recognized the daughter. Oh. I mean that just adds to the story. Oh, that of course makes the story. Yeah. And, and what's interesting too of Kathleen being part of this. Of course, she mm-hmm. had not been part of this equation back thirty two years ago, but she was just waiting in the car patiently, letting me go through this whole ordeal or experience. But when she was introduced into the picture and we went to met Wendy, it was like Kathleen completely belonged into the, oh, into the story. Sure. So it was she was just part of this whole visit. Yeah. So it, it really was a, it was a great thing to kind of be able to bring her, update her into the story. Oh, yes. Oh. Well, now I know that our listeners are going to want to know what happened to your money in the bank. Oh, the money. Oh, the, oh, so you yeah. can tell us that. Oh, well, that was the first day we got into New Zealand. I went down to the ANZ Bank. And uh, I'd, in the meantime, I would had to figure out online how to reactivate the accounts. And so all of that was, was up, up to date. And we went into the bank and got into a long chat with the tellers. I explained the whole story. And they cashed me out some $900 all New Zealand right. dollars worth oh. of money. A, a small fortune, perhaps. Yeah. In, in another day, in another era, right. but it did actually cover the expenses, almost cover the expenses of our rental car. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was that was the excuse. Exactly. The people were the reason and the places. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but y'all are like that. You just meet people, you know, everywhere. Y'all are just great at that. Yeah, you and Kathleen are probably. I mean, just the queen and the king of of traveling and making friends or... I mean, right here in the United States, you do that, no matter where you are. And you all have been to Cuba and India and, of course, you know, all over Europe and uh, Eastern Europe and just amazing. Well, we're both people curious. Mm-hmm. And that is a lot of what it's all about. And one of our my fa- my second favorite experience in New Zealand and Australia was meeting all the young travelers that are mm-hmm. still out there, mm-hmm. still out there with the curious, searching soul. Hitchhikers, twenty one year old hitchhikers that we picked up from Germany and Spain and took them out to supper and just had a really great connection with. And that is something. If the world was left up to the soul of the traveler we would be in a peaceful place because that's the whole purpose of travelers. They are not judgmental. They are there to explore and to share and to experience. And that is something that I had dialed into many, many years ago and was so relieved to find out that that soul is still there among the young people. And that this trip confirmed that for me. I mean, we met the Estonian boy who'd been traveling around for 17 years and Americans and Dutch and a young Belgian couple that were working. And one of the beautiful things about Australia and New Zealand 
is that they still allow work travel visas. Mm -hmm. So young people can get a visa for a full year in Australia and New Zealand and actually work and pay for their trips. So there's no excuse for saying, I can't afford it. Mm -hmm. You can go and find reasonable work at a minimum wage of $16 an hour Mm -hmm. because both those countries have made a commitment to try to eliminate the problem of the working poor. And so a foreign traveler can find a $16 an hour job and travel. And in Australia, in fact, if you're willing to do agricultural work, which of course is going to add a little bit of extra backbreak to it, they'll give you a two-year visa. Wow. That's great. And at the same time, you're also, you know, when we were talking about exchange students, the whole idea was reaching hands across the ocean. Mm-hmm. You know, because you couldn't, you were less likely to shoot at somebody that you had gone to school with or whatever, you know. So oh, that, yeah. I've always said it's, it should be a prerequisite for anyone who holds a political office is that they were an exchange student or a traveler yes. or whatever. Yeah. That I just think that should be a prerequisite. See, and the Australians and New Zealanders are particularly sensitive to that because mm-hmm. they know that they are in a very isolated corner of the world. And when sure. they go traveling, yeah. they really go traveling. They go for months or years in some cases to well, just really get to know the rest of everywhere. the world. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's a highly recommend that as a place to go to yeah, find your soul absolutely. and see beautiful, beautiful scenery yeah. and make incredibly lasting friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Well, Australia's so big, I don't imagine y'all wound up in any of the same places. You mean when I have when yeah, I was they, there? Did they see any of the places that you Well, they they didn't get out to Perth, but I had been in Victoria and I'd been in Sydney, mm-hmm. you know, the state of Victoria, Melbourne and and uh, Canberra. Did you get to Can you didn't get to we Canberra? We didn't actually get there. Australia you have to realize is that Australia if you take a map of Australia and superimpose it on the lower forty eight states of the US Coast to coast, east, west, and north to south, it's actually the same dimensions. Mm-hmm. A little smaller in area because the corners are a little more rounded. Mm-hmm. And we knew, we had no illusions that there was in right. two plus weeks that how much of mm-hmm. Australia we were going to be able yeah. to see. So we picked an area in the southeast and did a circuit that would be basically starting in Sydney, which would be, let's say, starting in Savannah, Georgia, ending up in New Orleans, East Texas, and mm-hmm. coming back through Tennessee. Right. Which we think in the U.S. would be a trip that You'd have to keep moving along, but in two weeks would be a bite-sized chunk of the U.S. And that's really all we were able to Mm -hmm. do in Australia. But Australians are not, what they told me was they're not really as regional as we are. There's only 24 million people in Australia. And a very very cosmopolitan population as well. I mean, they're 25% foreign-born immigration which the U.S. is at this point about 15%. So they are a very cosmopolitan population, and they told me that they really don't, as much as there are some regional characteristics and personalities and lifestyle, they really aren't as regional in their subcultures as we are in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So, you know, someone that grew up in Perth on the West Coast and someone that grew up in Sydney really have a lot in common and share a lot of common culture. And, in fact, accent and dialect and speech patterns, would there wouldn't be any major differences. Mm. That is, you'd find someone here who was raised in Maine and someone who was, you know, raised in South Texas. I mean, they would have a, a much different 
experience, cultural experience than in Australia with that same distance. Mm -hmm. Good point. Yes. Well, thank you. Oh, a pleasure. Absolutely. This has been so much fun. Oh, Leslie, this is going to turn into one of my favorite ones, I think. Yes. Oh, wasn't that fun, Leslie? Absolutely. Really appreciated that. It's nice to have another viewpoint. Oh, yes, and Peter's is just so well told in his story. And now we get to eat Peter's cooking. Oh, yes. Yeah, they invited us over to do the podcast, and we're going to have dinner now here in just a few minutes. Oh, Hungarian food. I don't know what we're having, and Kathleen has baked a cherry pie. Yeah, it's always amazing. It is indeed. Yeah. We are blessed. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you. It's been great. Yes, I appreciate everybody uh, helping us out. All right, our show notes can be found at quincepodcast.com. Uh, we are also on Facebook under Quince Podcast. You can find us on iTunes under Quince Podcast, or it might be easier to look for Leslie Sheeler or Beth Almond Ford. And we're also on Stitcher Radio if you have that app on your phone or tablet. And we will try to be back in a couple of weeks with weather permitting and the creeks don't rise. All right. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.